Well, shout out to the Binder children because they read more books than anybody I know. So uh, I'll have to go back and see what titles they all shared uh, in terms of books that they're reading right now because I can't keep up with all the series. Hopefully uh, some of the rest of you are like that too who are getting into reading right now. Let's say a prayer as we continue our conversation about the difference Jesus makes. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that you are present with us. Thank you for being with us when we can only be together digitally, when we're together physically, no matter where we are, you can always be present with us and we can connect around your presence. And so thank you um, for being with us and speak to us now in these moments as we just pause from everything else that's going on in our lives to try to listen to your word and hear what it is that you have for us to hear. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I want to talk about mistakes. Um, and the difference that Jesus makes when we think about the mistakes that we make. So, you know, go back. I know this isn't the most fun, but go back and think about a mistake that you've made recently. Think about the last mistake you made and, and how you reacted to realizing that you made a mistake. This took me about 10 seconds when I did this exercise because I'm making mistakes constantly. And, you know, most of them, some of them hopefully are relatively harmless. Like you get the, all the coffee ready. This is one of the mistakes I made last week. Get all the coffee ready, but don't put any of the coffee in the coffee maker. And then the next morning when you wake up early, the only thing you have is hot water. And that's not great. It's not as caffeinated as if you put the beans in the coffee maker. Uh, you know, maybe you made a wrong turn. Maybe you dialed the wrong number. Every day we're all making some sort of mistakes and lots of them don't matter at all. They don't hurt anybody. They're maybe inconvenient and that's it. But other mistakes that we make really do matter. And sometimes we make mistakes, but we didn't intend to make them and we didn't intend to hurt anybody, but, but they did. Um, but our mistakes in fact affected those people in ways that we didn't intend. And I've made plenty of those too. I let a friend down last week and missed something that was really important. Um, all of life is full of these kinds of little errors and things that we don't always intend, but, but they affect people. But sometimes we do things wrong that do hurt other people, and we do them intentionally. And that sounds really bad, right? But the Bible actually has language for these kinds of sins. They're not just mistakes. They're, they're sins. They're things that we willfully do wrong. Like you knew that it was wrong before you did it, and you went ahead and did it anyway, and it negatively impacted somebody else. Um, the Bible has special language for that and says these are the most damaging sins, mistakes. The things that we do that not only hurt somebody, but we thought about it ahead of time and they actually hurt us too because they violate our humanity in ways that we don't always even understand. And so these kinds of mistakes or sins are, are the worst. They're the, the things that do the most damage. I'm using the language of mistakes and sins today, not because I'm afraid of saying the word sin, but because I want all of us to come from really different backgrounds to just understand what I'm, what I'm talking about. The Bible defines sin in a particular way. It basically just means doing anything or living in any particular way that goes against the way that God wants us to live, the things that God wants us to do. And we believe that God has our best in mind. So when we go against that, it's not just breaking some random rule, it's actually worse for us as a group of people, as humans. And right now we're living every day in this world that is dramatically impacted by mistakes, by sins that we're all committing. Some of them are harmless, but a lot of them are harmful. 
And with the challenges that we're facing right now, we're aware that there are these big systems that are affecting our lives, and those systems have mistakes and sins built right into them that are impacting people, especially people who haven't had power to change those systems and and make them uh, work better for everyone. We all have this sense, a lot of people that I talk to, we have a sense that something needs to change, things need to change, I hear people say a lot, but we don't always know what to do or how to make those changes. And so today, as we continue this conversation, what I want to do is I want to focus in on talking about the difference that Jesus makes in helping us deal with our mistakes and helping us deal with our sins, not just as individuals, but as a community of people. So how can Jesus help us deal with the problems that we're facing today? We're going to take a look at the book of Hebrews, which we've been in for a couple of weeks. And I'm going to specifically zero in on Hebrews chapter 10. So if you have a Bible and you want to go there, we'll be reading from there in a minute. Hebrews is a book about how Jesus is a better version of all the things that the Israelites understood in terms of their relationship with God. Jesus is God's word in a new way. Uh, Jesus is a new sort of high priest. Jesus is a new kind of hope for the future than than they understood before. And the section that we're going to look at today is going to talk about Jesus as a better sacrifice, as a more whole sacrifice. But often we use the BibleProject.com to help you get a sense of a book that we're in. And we really love the videos that they create. They're short and and free. And so we're going to watch just a minute of the introduction to the Hebrews video from the Bible Project. And if you have more time this week, you should watch the rest of it. It's only about eight minutes long. and It'll really give you a good overview of what the book of Hebrews is about. So let's take a look at that right now. The letter to the Hebrews. The author of this letter is anonymous, and people have wondered for a long time whether Paul wrote it or maybe one of his co-workers like Barnabas or Apollos, but really we just don't know. In chapter 2, we discover that the author had a first-hand relationship with the disciples who were themselves around Jesus, so we know that this letter is anchored in the teaching of the apostles. We also don't know who the audience of this letter was or even where they lived. The author knows them really well, and he assumes that they have a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, especially the storyline of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, about how Abraham's family became the nation of Israel, about how Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt to Mount Sinai, where they received the Torah and they made a covenant with God, where they built the tabernacle, where the priests offered sacrifices, and also about how they wandered through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The author just expects that the readers know all of the details about these stories. And so most likely the audience is made up of Jewish Christians that's where the name of the letter comes from. So you get a sense that the author of Hebrews expected the readers to really understand all these stories from the Old Testament. And in chapter 10, the one we're going to focus on, the author is helping us to understand how Jesus became a more complete sacrifice uh, through his death and resurrection than the sacrifices that the, the priests were offering every day and every year to help people experience forgiveness for their sins. They specifically thought or talked about how these priests would enter into the Holy of Holies. They would go into this space in the middle of the temple, the place where they really believed that God's presence was. And only once a year would the most high priest be able to go into this inner sanctum to be in God's presence and to offer a sacrifice on behalf of all the people. And so this experience of God's presence is very hierarchical. There's only one guy, it's always a male who could enter into the space, and he did it on behalf of everybody, but he only did it once a year. So you have this idea that God's presence is very restricted, and access to it is restricted to a very 
few people. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 18, uh, the author is trying to show us how this access has been changed by Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. So let's take a look at that. I'm going to read the message version for you this morning. It starts in verse 11 of Hebrews 10. It says, Every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in and year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. The Holy Spirit confirms this and says, this new plan I'm making with Israel, is going, it's not going to be written on paper. It's not going to be chiseled in stone like the tablets that were given to Moses. This time, I'm writing out the plan in them carving it on the lining of their hearts. The Holy Spirit concludes, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. So we're getting this image, and this is pretty detailed, deep stuff for for these Israelites. For the author of Hebrews to be saying to them, Jesus has created access to God. Instead of one person going into the Holy of Holies to experience God's presence, now everyone has access to God's presence wherever they are. Mind-blowing, radical idea. This, This chapter is also teaching us that Jesus addresses the sin problem that the Israelites have and everyone in the world has by taking the problem head on. Jesus takes responsibility for sin that wasn't his own sin and through his death and resurrection offers forgiveness to everybody. Jesus doesn't just pay a debt. He actually breaks the power of sin over all of us. He makes it possible so sin and mistakes don't have to rule our lives. So this is the good news of Hebrews chapter 10. That all the sins that exist in our world, all the struggles that we're facing now, Jesus deals with them in a particular way. He says, let me take on those problems on your behalf. He doesn't say, hey, here's how you go and fix your own issues. He says, I will make you right with God if you can trust me. And we really have to understand how different that this is from some of the other ways that we have with dealing with the sins and the mistakes. And we'll get into that in just a second. God offers us forgiveness, God offers us healing, God offers us acceptance, God offers us mercy as a way to deal with our own sins. God doesn't tell us to get right or to do it right in order to be acceptable to God. God says you are acceptable because of what Jesus has done for you. So this forgiveness, it sets us free to live differently, you understand. Instead of being weighed down by our sins and feeling bad about the things that we're not doing right, we're free to learn the way of life that God intends for us in the first place. Now, I want to contrast the way Jesus deals with sin in this this little section of this chapter that we read with a lot of other ways that we are used to dealing with sin. And I just created a handful of them, but you could probably create your own when you see the list. One of the ways in which some of us deal with sin is by completely avoiding it. 
And I'm sure all of us have had this experience. You just say, what sin? I didn't even know that that was a sin. I didn't know that was something that God didn't want me to do. Everything is fine. You're fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. Don't worry about it. Don't give it another thought. There's no sin problem here. That's avoiding the questions of the mistakes and the sins that, are, that we're all dealing with. Then there's the defensiveness response. There we just feel defensive and we say, I haven't made any mistakes myself. This is one that I hear a lot in some of the conversations that are going on. I personally haven't made that mistake. Therefore, I don't really have any responsibility for the larger problem. I don't know that that's actually, I know that that's not going to help us deal with some of the issues that we have and some of the sin issues that we each have in our lives. To deny that we've sinned or to deny that we have any fault in some of the things that we collectively are experiencing is not going to bring healing to you or to me or to anybody else. Another way that sometimes we deal with sin is just by trying harder. And if you have any achiever mentality like I do, you might live with this one all the time. Like, oh, I'm, I did it wrong. I'll do it right the next time. And by trying harder, I will become more like the person that God created me to be. But some of you know that's a hamster wheel that you can be on for a long time. And you can try harder and try harder and try harder and never get to the place that you're hoping to go. One final example of ways and some of us deal with the, the mistakes and the sins in our lives is that we change the rules. You might have heard yourself or someone else say, well, I just don't agree with this definition of sin. Who, who gets to decide what is God's way and, and not God's way? I'm not going to let anybody judge me or how I live my life. I'm going to decide for myself what is acceptable or not acceptable. Um, and that's not an option that Jesus gives us in Scripture. There are ways that God asks us to live. There are ways that God invites us to be in relationship with Christ. And those are particular ways. We don't get to just create whatever way we want and call it good. And that can be really hard for some of us who maybe don't want to admit that there is a way outside of our own way that God wants for us. So this is, this is not how God wants us to deal with these sins. He doesn't want us to avoid them or be defensive or just try really hard to be the person that God created us to be or redefine what's good and not good on our own. Instead, God wants us to come humbly and accept the gift that Jesus is offering to us. And just to be really clear, that gift is that Jesus has done everything we need to deal with the mistakes and the sins in our life. That's it. You just have to accept the fact that Jesus did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. And if you come to that place in your life, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever sins you've committed that have damaged you and damaged other people, Jesus says, I've already forgiven you for those things if you will just accept that forgiveness. And if you've ever been forgiven for something in your life, you know that somebody forgiving you for something you did wrong changes you, makes you a different person. You feel a different level of gratitude. You feel a different level of compassion towards other people. You feel a different level of mercy and capacity for mercy towards other people once you feel and experience God's forgiveness for you. And so the way that Jesus deals with our sins is by first and foremost saying, I love you, you're my child, I want to forgive you, I've already died for your sins, I don't want them to hold you back anymore, 
I want you to accept the gift of my love and my forgiveness unconditionally. And if you do, if you accept it, you'll be changed. You can't help but be a different person at that point. And you'll want, you'll find that you want to live your life in some new ways as a result of that experience. Let me read just a little bit more from Hebrews chapter 10 uh, to talk about how we might respond to this unbelievable forgiveness that Jesus is offering to us. Here's how um, it reads in the message version, verse 19. He says, so friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God, into the holy place, so to speak. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable and acceptable inside and out to God, let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. God always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring one another on, especially as we see the big day of Jesus' return approaching. If we give up and turn our backs on all that we've learned, all we've been given, all the truth that we now know, then we repudiate Christ's sacrifice. Like we turn our backs on what Jesus has done for us. And we're left on our own to face judgment. And a mighty fierce judgment it will be. So there's three things that the author of the Hebrews wants us to think about in response to Jesus' forgiveness. The first is to just draw near to God, to, to come into God's presence, because we can. And many of you have different ways of doing that, but this is especially important during this period we're going through. There are lots of things that might help you deal with pandemic and all the other issues that are going on, but nothing will help you like spending time in God's presence. Whether that means having a really good conversation with a friend who also knows Jesus well and can point you in that direction, whether that means listening to scripture, whether it means getting out on a walk in nature, whether it means singing a worship tune so that your heart is focused on God, whatever practice helps you to draw near to God, do it. Because it will feed you and it will help you and it will, it will um, sustain you as we go forward. Uh, the second thing it, it lists in this part of the scripture is that we need to hold on to hope in God's promises. And the whole next chapter in Hebrews 11 is a list of people in the past who held on to hope in God's promises even when they didn't see those things in their own lifetime. Boy, do we need that right now. We need to be people of hope to know that even though we're suffering now and even though we're struggling now, there's a future that's promising where Jesus will make all the wrong things right and all the things that we're struggling with will be resolved for those of us who are trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. We need to be people of hope who can point to that future and say things aren't always going to be like we're experiencing right now. And finally, it talks about encouraging one another on to love and good deeds. We really need this too. Like the Christian community should come around each other and say, how can we more creatively love people? Instead of shouting people down and highlighting our divisions, especially over the next few months, how can we more creatively love our neighbor in the name of Jesus? Let's surprise some people with the way in which we love folks. Uh, let's 
try to get together and think about our resources and how we might share some of those things with other people. Let's fight for justice. Let's talk about the difference Jesus makes in our lives with other people. Let's let people know that we love them and that we care about them just by sending a text message maybe randomly to somebody. Let's pay attention to the ways that God might be inviting us to join the work that God's doing. Let's not be afraid to admit when we've done something wrong and that we need to be forgiven for that from God and from each other. This passage I read you ends in a warning, and there's been a bunch of warnings in the book of Hebrews as we've been reading it over the last month or so. And the warnings each time are a different version of there's really no other way to deal with the sin that we have in our lives than what's being described in this book. And the way I would interpret that for the 21st century is simply to say, if we reject Jesus' offer of forgiveness and grace and mercy, then, then the only thing left is for us to figure this thing out on our own. And there's a lot of us who think maybe we can fix this thing on our own. Maybe if we just educate people more, maybe if we vote for the right person, maybe if we get the right resources in the right spots, everything will be okay. But unless we deal with God, unless we deal with our relationship with God and our trust in Jesus Christ, all of that stuff is a human band-aid to a much deeper problem that none of us can actually address. And that's all the text is saying. That unless we, unless we accept what Jesus is offering to us, then the only other option is for us to do what we're able to do on our own. And that feels like judgment. Because there's really, if we were going to fix it, we would have fixed it by now. Don't you think? I'm so glad to be able to bring uh, this perspective in this conversation about Hebrews. Hebrews is such a powerful book. To, um, to remember together that none of us deserve forgiveness, but God offers it to everybody. I had a conversation with a friend this last week. Uh, and she vulnerably told me some things that she hadn't told me before, even though we've been friends a long time, some hard stuff that had gone on in her life early on. And I was able to um, listen to her. And then also just to say, I hope that you feel the unconditional love and forgiveness of God. Because I think that's what God offers. Um, maybe find somebody in your life this week who needs to he hear that there's good news. That Jesus has already dealt with our problems, with our sins. That Jesus already knows all the things that we have done wrong and other people have done wrong to us. And that he's already conquered those things and removed their power if we will trust him to bring healing and forgiveness and love into our lives. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need your love. We need your forgiveness. We've tried so many different things to fix the world that you love, that you created. None of them work very well. So help us to return to the source this week. Help us to remember that you are our Savior, that you are our God, that you love us more than we can understand. Help us to remember the forgiveness that you have for us, the mercy that you have for us. And God, then also challenge us to put you first in our lives and follow your lead so that we can love people in the world around us the way that you love them and that the world might be changed through that love, the love that you've given to us. We're grateful for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.